We're continuing our, our short Advent series, four weeks. This is week three, so we have one more week before Christmas, in case you haven't done all your shopping, just as a reminder. Uh, there's one more Sunday before Christmas, so that's you have about, about two weeks left, just as a reminder. Um, but we've been looking at the theme of joy. We looked at the theme of joy in the darkness as the prophet foretold the coming of the sun, as Isaiah said, that this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, this child would come and save his people. Last week, we looked at the joy of Mary and Elizabeth, uh, the joy of them together, the joy of, of treasuring up this reality that they a virgin and a barren woman were going to bring about the consolation of Israel, the, the coming of the Messiah, that God had blessed them with that great privilege. And as, their, as God's servants, they were faithful uh, in following in obedience. This week, we're going to look at the joy in the shepherds. Uh, again, like Mary, like Elizabeth, they were the least likely of people to be recipients of the good news and to be really the very first, uh, some of the first evangelists, along with uh, uh, some others in the story that we will look at next week, of proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has been born, uh, sharing that joy. So we're going to look at the joy of the shepherds. So with that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Luke 2, verses 1 to 20. This includes the birth of our Savior. Hear God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with the child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this word. We thank you for the word, the eternal word, who came in the form of a baby to take upon himself the sins of the world. We thank you for Jesus. Help us to see him clearly this morning and to rejoice. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory is a, is a funny thing. I've already mentioned it in our, in our sermon earlier. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about in his little essay, The Weight of Glory, talked about his own sort of dislike of the idea of glory, of being glorified, of some glory that we would receive. He disliked it for two reasons. One is he either thought it was sort of a driven by hell itself, this idea of I need to get glory and, and the pride of sort of, of aiming for some sort of weightiness and glory and fame. Or it's like being a, a, a giant electric light bulb because it's about brightness and he said, one is absurd, and the other seems terrible, uh, seems wrong-headed. But then as he wrestles in his uh, essay on the weight of glory, he realizes that this is something Scripture talks about quite a bit. It's actually somewhat foundational uh, to, to Scripture. And he recognizes, as he goes through this, this idea of glory, the problem isn't that we would seek glory. In fact, it's, it's part of our identity that we would seek glory. The problem is, is the way in which we have sought it as humans has been to do it in our own terms, to look for glory and power and fame and might and splendor apart from God. Of course, he goes on to talk a lot more in that essay about the nature of humanity and how each one of us uh, is... Uh, in, immortal, and that that weight of glory that each one of us is immortal ought to give us great weight to think about everyone around us is either an immortal horror or an immortal glory, meaning that there are those who have not yet been saved, and so there should be a weight, a sense of, of weight to the fact that our neighbors uh, may not enjoy the glory of the Lord, lest we share the love of Christ with them. Anyway, Good essay. Go read it. Uh, uh, but glory is a funny thing. I think he was right. It's a strange idea. In the Old Testament, glory, uh, the word for glory means heavy. It's weightiness. You know, if somebody is a big personality, we say that they push their weight around in a room, right? They kind of swagger into a room and they are full of power and might. They're weighty. Uh, you know, a big uh, dignitary, when he steps into a room, everybody defers to that person. Uh, in the New Testament, the word glory, doxa, the, the sort of, the picture is brightness or splendor. Um, and you combine these two things. And it's often the picture we get of God himself in Scripture. When he appears, often he appears as the weightiness of that glory cloud, right, in the Old Testament, uh, that, that cloud that settled in on Mount Sinai and no one could approach it. Or he was a flaming torch 
that went before the people of Israel at night. Uh, there's that splendor when uh, angels appear, as we'll see here, that's, that sort of shocks people. Uh, just the brightness and wonder of it. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, and Peter was there, and you'll remember he's transfigured and he's, he, the description is of, of a whiteness that can't even be described, of just brightness. And Peter's overwhelmed and he's like, this is the moment. Let's just live in this glory. Uh, this is where we want to be. But as we think about glory, glory of God and glory for ourselves, there's, there's a couple things that I want us to consider today. First is there's a dread of glory that we have. There's a dread. We see this in our text. Um, the disciples, the, uh, the shepherds are um, afraid, terrified. They, they're in dread when the angel comes and he's surrounded by glory. But the second thing, so we're going to look at the dread of glory, and then I want us to think about the joy of glory. Because there's joy attached to glory as well. So dread of glory, joy of glory. So first, the dread of glory. And first, I, before we even talk about the dread of the glory of the Lord, I want us to consider the dread of the glory of man. Because I think we all, on some level, dread the glory of man. What do I mean by this? Um, we don't like people to have power and glory if they are not our people, right? I mean, take a very, very basic uh, and, and, and somewhat, you know, innocuous example of this. Um, it, for, for many years, the Patriots were top dog in, in, in the NFL. They won quite a few Super Bowls, as I recall. And if you were a Bills fan or you were a Jets fan or you were a Dolphins fan, you, were, you hated the glory of the Patriots. And maybe even if you were any other fan, you hated the glory of the Patriots, right? That, that's just an obvious sort of silly example. But there are, are, in a sense, I think, real dread of people who have glory, especially if they're powerful and they wield that power against you, right? Uh, so you can think of, of kings and dictators and powerful rulers across the globe over time who have done wicked things, but who were magnificent and full of glory in their own way. Terrible and terrifying. From time immemorial, they have exercised power and glory over their subjects. Uh, Sometimes for good, more often for ill. That kind of glory we call tyranny, right? Americans love the word tyranny because we, we saw King George and we said he's a tyrant. And we're going to slough off that tyrant, George, and we're going to establish ourselves. And here we're going to have the glorious nation of, of presidents and uh, legislatures and Congress. It'll be the glory ruled by people. But, of course, we know uh, democracies can be full of terror and dread for people as well, our own notwithstanding. Well, in our text, 
There is one king who is full of glory, one powerful king. In fact, he's an emperor. His name is Caesar Augustus Octavian. He is uh, far and away the greatest, most powerful, most glorious figure in the ancient world of Rome. He is the one who established the Pax Romana. He is the one who, who defeated Alexandria and subjugated it, the great city. He is the one who basically said that this, this empire is the world. And I am ruler of it. He wasn't only a mighty ruler who subjugated cities, but he was known for shrewd politics. He was benevolent. So this is what glorious rulers do. They, they're benevolent toward plebes. Uh, his name was on everything. Uh, coinage, buildings, um, even a month named after him. Of course, his predecessor, um, Julius Caesar also had a month named after him, and uh, Augustus Caesar couldn't be outdone, so July and August, right? Um, and so the glory of these great rulers was manifest. If anyone in the world was said to have had earthly glory, it was Augustus. And so whatever he said came to pass. That's how glory works within that kind of kingly wor world. And so it is here in our text, a decree went out by Caesar Augustus that not, not Israel should be counted, not Rome should be counted, not Greece should be counted, not Alexandria should be counted, but the whole world should, world should be counted. See that in the text? The whole world. Glory. That's glory. When you can say world be counted, and everybody has to go to their hometown. That's power. That's glory. That's weightiness. Well, Caesar Augustus was by no means the most, most ruthless of emperors. In fact, in the litany of Roman emperors, he wasn't that bad. He was maybe even the best. Yet to the Jews, the emperor along with all the other Roman rulers, including Quirinius, they viewed with dread and disdain. You see, the thing about our dread of those with glory and power is that we usually think the answer, the way to address this is to relieve that power of its glory uh, in the Jewish world, there were many movements to try and to take back the land of Israel uh, and establish the great glorious kingdom of the Jews of ancient fame, right? They wanted, they longed for the day when the Messiah would come and he would, he would come and he would take away all the, 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 the foreign powers and they would establish themselves. Uh, they would have glory just as in the days of David, their king. It's interesting. On that night, the day Jesus was born, outside the Davidic town of Bethlehem on the hills were a group of shepherds watching their flocks at night. And you can't help but wonder what they thought as they saw people streaming from places like Nazareth into this town of Bethlehem that was getting overcrowded because some governor on high said, you have to go and be counted. And you have to wonder if those shepherds 
thought as they shepherded the sheep under their care, they thought about David, right? They were in the same spot that David, the great king, once shepherded. The same David who had defeated Goliath, who had kicked out the Philistines. That same David who established the great kingdom of Israel in all of its splendor and glory. And you can't wonder if they thought what it would be like for us to restore that glory, that wonder. What if the Messiah would come and make all things right? Let's regain glory, regain that power. Yet in that moment, disrupting their plans for rebellion, an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, of course, that's all conjecture, right? Like, I don't know what they were thinking. They were probably just thinking about sleep and their sheep. Um, but an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And rather in that moment, being full of the dread of Rome, the full of the dread of Caesar Augustus, suddenly they were filled with the dread of God himself. And, and who wouldn't be, Right? But here, here's the thing. If anyone is full of glory, it's not Caesar Augustus. It is God himself and his angels. If anyone has power and authority, it's not Caesar Augustus who pretended he had power over the whole world. It's not him, but it is the Lord of the earth, the one who has power and glory. And it that power and authority and glory of, of Augustus did not compare to the glory of this one angel of the Lord appearing to these shepherds. So the shepherds rightly feared and dreaded as they saw the angel. You see, as I said earlier in the service, the great travesty of mankind is that we don't fear the Lord. Right? This was often the tagline of, of the, the, the complaint against the people of God. Uh, there is no fear of the Lord. They, they do what's right in their own eyes. They seek their own glory. And this is what Adam and Eve, as I mentioned earlier, did in the garden. They didn't fear God when they took of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Rather than fearing God, they sought glory apart from him, and they wanted to become like God. They wanted glory. They wanted to be the ones to be feared. The shepherds were rightly terrified when the Lord appeared. After all, they weren't being visited by Caesar Augustus. They were being visited by the emissary of the living God. As my dad pointed out last Sunday evening, shepherds weren't exactly at the top of the social structure. They were not only low in terms of their economic worth, they were low in terms of their trust, trustability. They were not well trusted. They weren't exactly the type that would be able to endure the presence of the living God. Moses barely endured the presence of the living God as he entered the, the very uh, uh, glory cloud and and met with God on Mount Sinai. No one else, not even Joshua, could press into that glorious cloud, right? Who were these shepherds? Nobody. Nobody. 
what right did they have to face the angel of the Lord? These lowly shepherds. But here's the wonder of this of this story, of this, of this good news. Here's the wonder. Rather than just being dreadful and terrified, there is joy in the glory of the Lord. Maybe for some of you, you've not experienced that. Maybe for some of you, the idea of there being joy in the glory of the Lord does not compute. In other words, you think of God as this terrifying, terrible God who is ready to strike you at any minute. And if you do wrong, you can be wiped off the face of the earth. So you always have this picture of God as this, this wrathful God and certainly is full of wrath. Certainly he can't dwell with sin. Certainly he is holy in all his ways. Certainly he should be feared. But oftentimes, even as believers, we come to God like that uh, older brother in the story of the prodigal son, always trying to do what's right, trying to earn favor with God, always feeling like I'm just one step away from displeasure. The glory of the Lord is, is something that is full of dread, but that's it. Maybe you're like that. It's how you've viewed God. But here's the wonder of this story. There's joy in the glory of the Lord. What does the angel say? They're surrounded by glory. They are terrified. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. And it's not, do not be afraid because God is not full of wrath. He is. He is a God who visits iniquity and sin. He punishes it. He doesn't dwell with it. He's holy and he's righteous and he's other and he's transcendent. And he will bring about judgment. But the angel says, do not be afraid, not because of that, but because of this. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. What is that good news of great joy? Well, it's right there for us. It's the gospel. And there really is no other news that is better. It is this. Today, in this little city of Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, who is the Messiah, who is the one who comes to save his people. And now, I don't know what the shepherds thought at this moment, but the good news that the Messiah has been born is, is starting to settle in. They're starting to think about it. What does this mean? Does this mean that Rome is going to be overthrown? Does this mean that the glory of Israel is going to be restored? That the, the kingdom here on earth is going to be established once again? But what's remarkable here is not just that there is there is good news and joy in this coming Messiah who is 
uh, the Savior of the world. But notice how this Savior comes. What does the angel tell them? It says, you'll find this child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Wait, what? What? You just told me that the Savior of the world was coming, that the King has come, the Messiah, the Lord, the one who's going to reestablish uh, the kingdom, and you're telling me he's, he's sitting in a, in a, where my sheep go to eat? You're telling me he's not wrapped in purple and sitting in the palace or in the temple in Jerusalem. You're telling me he is, he is there and just plain old swaddling clothes like every other baby? This is the irony of the glory of the Lord. This is the irony of, of the story of salvation. You see, we think about glory. We think about gaining it. We think about getting it. We think about not having it. And how do we, how do we pull those who have glory down and put ourselves up in the place of those who have glory? But that's not the Lord. That's not what the Lord does. What God himself does, he says, I have all glory. I don't need any other glory in this life. I have it from eternity past to eternity future. There's nothing that can take away my glory except me. And so we read in Philippians 2, in, in Philippians 2 that Jesus did not consider that glory, that equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but he made himself nothing. This is the irony. The one who is Lord and who has all glory and power says, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to take on flesh. And this is the wonder and the good news is that he takes on flesh, not, not to show us just simply what it means to be a, 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 a human and to, 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 to follow God and to be a true image bearer of the most glorious one. But he takes on flesh that he might take upon himself that judgment and that wrath that we deserve. There is no other glory like this. That the, the, the God of heaven and earth would lay down his life, humble himself make himself nothing, being born of no reputation and no repute. There's no other glory like this. We go after glory and God lays it down. Why? That he might be the savior for all the world. And what does that mean for these Poor shepherds who were a little bit probably overwhelmed. And if they weren't overwhelmed at this declaration, they were certainly overwhelmed when in a blink of an eye, the whole host of heaven gathered round this declaration by this angel and said glory to God in the highest. Why? Because on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased has come. 
Here is the glory. The humiliation of the Son of God. I think those shepherds were overwhelmed. <laughs> Caesar Augustus was sitting on his throne, I guess, in Rome. And no, no, no idea what just happened. None. In that moment, all the world was transformed. And God revealed his glory to the least. This should bring us great joy. Love the Apostle Paul who says, not many of you were wise, not many of you were of noble birth. Not, another, another way to put Paul's words is, not many of you are glorious. But he chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The things that are not, shame those that are. He lifts up the lowly, the brokenhearted, the sinner. He came to the angel. The angels came to the shepherds. What a wondrous, glorious news. What joyful reality that the God of heaven and earth comes to people like you and like me. So what does that mean for us? Certainly there's dread in the glory of the Lord. He's not a God to be trifled with. And I just want to encourage you, if you if you are still one of those who have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus, if you, you just not put your faith in him and you're striving after the world and all its glory, and you can strive after it. You know how you strive after it. Whether it's accolades through work, whether it's, uh, you know, going after money, whether it's trying to get some political power, whatever it is. If you're continually striving after it, you know in your heart that that doesn't satisfy. It doesn't ever satisfy. To go back to my, my good friend, Tom Brady. I forget. I, I think he said it, well, after one of his Super Bowls that it just wasn't enough. I mean, he's still playing, and he's he was born maybe a couple months before me, and I'm old. He's still seeking glory. If you're like that, if you're still out there seeking glory, know that there is only one who has glory. He is the judge of heaven and earth, and he's coming again to judge. But find this good news that this God of glory enters in and says, okay, listen, I'm going to lay down my glory to save you, broken sinner, who is a glory thief, who tries to steal glory from me. I'm going to lay it down for you, and then I'm going to give it back to you. You will be my image bearer, reflecting the glory of Jesus to the world. And this is exactly what these shepherds do. What do they do? As soon as, they, as, soon as the, the, the angels depart, they say, let's go see this glorious child that's been born. And when they see it, they worship. And immediately they start telling of the joy of the glory of the Lord that was revealed to them. You see, all of a sudden they were glorious. Not in and of themselves, 
but they were reflecting the glory of Jesus to the world. Friends, it isn't wrong to seek for glory. It's wrong to seek for our own glory. But it, it is right for us as image bearers of the Most High to seek to reflect the glory of Jesus. And what does that look like? Humbling ourselves. Laying down our lives. Trusting in Jesus. And reflecting him to the world. The joy of our salvation. Let's pray.